We want better schools. We want them now. Stand in our way, and you'll catch these eight black hands with Ankrum, Cole, El Mecky, and Stewart. Join us now for an hour or more of talk on education and culture. Well, there it is, man. We start another episode of episode 136 of the Eight Black Hands. Man, think about it. How far have we come? We got all the boys in town. Everybody is on camera, on mic, got lightings. We're good. We're good. So let's get this started. Today's show, we are going to talk a lot about the courage that is required of adults in education to stand up for kids and why there seems to be in some places too little of it. But before we jump into the topic, we're going to have some manners about connecting as brothers and say, brothers, how are you doing? Let's just do a round robin, do our check in, make sure that everybody is basically good. Uh, but l- let's start with you, El Mecki. I'm just going to go around what yeah. I see on my screen. How you doing, man? Man, good. Great to see y'all um, again this week. Uh, excited to be here. I think this is a really important topic. Had a good, you know, good weekend, you know, uh, spent time with the family, uh, spent time outdoors, something I had been just neglecting. I know that's part of my battery pack. And um, and happy. Uh, some folks celebrate uh, uh, early Hitler Day tomorrow. Other folks celebrate uh, Indigenous Day. So good to see y'all. See, bro, it's always going to come back to see. You always got to be radical, bro. I mean, why can't you just leave it alone? Why can't we all just get along, bro? You just see, you start to show with violence. You know what's so funny about that? You know, we're going to keep going around the horn, but I thought I was off tomorrow because I thought my organization had Indigenous Peoples Day off. Mm-hmm. And, you know, this is, I had to ask somebody. I feel like we, well, first of all, we don't have it off. Mm-hmm. And I feel like we may have traded Juneteenth for Indigenous Peoples Day because we used to have it off. Mm-hmm. But uh, but anyways, how are you doing, uh, Charles Cole, Dr. Charles I'm good, Cole? Man. I'm good. I'm good. I'm tired. I mean, we were just talking about this off camera. It's a, I'm back on another plane tomorrow. So um, interested, looking, looking forward to seeing y'all. And I got I need to get both audios up. The other audio is not up because of me. And it's just been a crazy week. But uh, I'm blessed, man. I'm blessed to be able to do what I get to do. And uh, I'm looking forward to uh, going to San Diego and talking to these leaders about what these black kids think. And somebody got that the robot sound on their uh, on a mic, too. I don't think it's me this time, but we'll, we'll keep going around the horn and we will see. Uh, how are you doing, Ray? Ray Ankrum. In the house. How you doing, man? I'm doing well, I'm doing well bro. Oh, no, uh, you got the robot voice. Is it me? Yeah, you got the robot voice. Are you using your mic on your webcam? Oh, no, he see now he didn't left the group. He didn't left. Look at it. He did. He did a Bobby Brown. He just took off. He did. He out somewhere talking about my prerogative. Damn, bro. All I meant was, hey, you there? How you doing, bro? How you doing? You back? You yeah. Back? I'm, oh, I'm, good. You sound better now. Okay. All right. Cool, cool. I'm, I'm, I'm well, man. I'm blessed and highly favored. Um, You're blurry. You said what? No, nah, keep going, but you're just a little blurry. Yo. <laughs> <laughs> hey, hey we'll, we'll get there, man. Hey, I'm blessed. I'm, high, I'm blessed and highly favored. Um, And yeah, I'm here. 
All right. Well, listen, I appreciate you brothers as always. We got to spend time. We all got to spend time together this week, which I thought was amazing. It was the first time, you know, since the pandemic where we really could like be out and about and make an impact for people who are listening and watching. You wouldn't know this unless you follow us on social media. And most of you do. So you probably already know this, but uh, the crew got together in Indianapolis and we did a show there that I think uh, was was uh, life affirming in some ways. There was an audience of people that came out on a weeknight to talk about education in Indy. And we were at the Madam C.J. Walker Theater in Indianapolis, which made it doubly or triply um, nice <laughs> from a historic point of view. It was it was great. Um, we before we did the show, we actually had a chance to meet with some young people at a school uh, and got to hear their stories and collect some information from them and then talk to them about what we do. We also got to meet with adults and hear from them what the story was. And that made me think about the show idea that we have for tonight. What we heard there and fellas, I want y'all to chime in uh, about this because you can obviously correct me uh, in my thinking about this, this, um, what I'm about to say next. We heard from students their very real experience in school and what it's like to be in an affirming place where people are checking in on you and they care about you and they know your name and they understand that there's more to life than school and they're checking in on what's going on with you outside of your school. And that was very affirming. We heard from adults, though, was if there's anything wrong in a city like Indianapolis, which we know we all can apply to other cities, it's that you can have a lot of different things going right for you and still not be doing all you can for kids. And one of the barriers is that adults oftentimes are afraid to speak out when things aren't good for kids. They're afraid because they might lose their jobs. They might lose their their standing in the community. They might have, you know, it might be too small of a city for them to ever get a, a, a grant again. So first of all, I would love to ask you fellas, number one is, does that framework for you? Is that how you heard it uh, the same way? And two, what was your takeaway from the kids versus your takeaway from the adults of what you heard in this city? And anybody can jump in. This is not a panel. This ain't a panel discussion, brother. So jump in and just talk like real human beings. Can't hear you, Charles, bro. I think you're on mute. I said I can jump in, man. I, I, to, to sum it up on my end, I, I got a lot of hope from young people and I got a lot of frustration from adults. And the, the, the hope that I got from young people, we, I'm, a, I'm a, just two kids. We, one kid from each of these schools, one of these kids went to Believe and they said, Cameron said, Believe is creating a lot of opportunities for us. People that people are passionate about us at this school and they do whatever they can in their power to get you to where you need to go. I thought that that was uh, beautiful. And then there was another student um, at the other school that we went to uh, at Polytech and they just were talking about how inspiring the space was and how she kind of felt bad for her friends that went to other schools because she said that those other schools are mundane uh, they do the same thing over and over. They do the same curriculum over and over. There's no room to, to move or to walk. Uh, here, I get to be inspired. So that was what was really hopeful for me. I think the other part, and this just goes deeper into my point around holding not just schools accountable, but your CBOs, your religious leaders, and your mentors and elders accountable in your community too, 
we talked to a very respected group of people and I won't give more details, but it felt like they just had given up on some part on the education piece. Like every time we was bringing up education issues, it was like, well, college ain't for everybody. But yeah, but now we're talking about K-8 right now. Like now we're talking about first graders. <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, college, college ain't for everybody. Let's well, <laughs> make it clear about these kindergartens. Y'all ain't, go, y'all ain't going nowhere. Is <laughs> reading for everybody? You know what I mean? So, um, anyway. I, Only if you're going to college. If not, I, like, you know, who cares? I'll stop there. But but I got a lot of hope from these young people and 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 uh but hold hold the other people in your community accountable. But CBOs, religious leaders, your elders, like everybody has to take a role in this if we're gonna turn it around. Yeah, no doubt. I mean, I, I definitely agree, and I, I think we took uh some of the similar uh you know, just the feedback about community from the students. That's what gave me the the most hope, fellas. Like, you know, just hearing them talk about how comfortable they were in that space. And it wasn't this comfort where oh, I'm not doing anything. I get to come and I'm chilling. It was like, no, we're working hard and I feel comfortable in this community. Um, and I love, uh, you know, you brought up one of the words that I was going to uh, really key in on, uh, Cole, was inspiration. You know, sometimes people forget that education is about content and inspiration, right? And to inspire folks, that means you need to have a, you know, this mutual respect, a community of learners that uh, that they see a future, their aspirations are all being protected and nurtured and informed and pushed and challenged, um, all of that. And so for them to say, like, you know, I, I leave out of here inspired. And we pushed and asked them, like, hey, what would you what would and it reminded me of what I would ask my my students at Shoemaker a lot. Like, all right, if you give this an eight, what would it have to take to be a 10? What would you need to see from me? What would you need to see from staff? And for them to say, like, you know what, I got to actually think about like what how to improve, because I appreciate this space so much. Um, and it wasn't one of those appreciations uh, where it's like, hey, you know what? Where I was was so horrible. Now I just get a little bit of air and now I'm, I'm better. It was like, no, nah, this is I can really see my aspirations coming to life. Um, and so I, I just really grateful. And as far as like the adults, that is the type of feedback that you would want from any student in your city, um, Philly, Indy, you know. Uh, Stockton, wherever, like that's the environment that, uh, you know, that, that can endure, you know, the, the learning process. Um, and when you don't have it, which most of our children don't, most of our communities don't, um, it's, it's pretty damning. Would you think superintendent being in there, super a, uh, getting to see a school where the, the young people themselves reported back to us that they felt that there were high standards for them there, but there was a loving environment. It was a kind environment. Um, and they couldn't say enough about like how they liked coming to school even. Um, um, but contrast that with what we heard from some adults in the, in the very same city. What, what do you think? Yeah. Um, so, I mean, going into those schools, man, like, you know, sometimes you go in with like an analytical eye, and so the things that I'm looking for, is, it may be different from the things that, you know, everybody else looks for when um, when they go to schools. And so I'm looking for like a high quality instruction when I'm going in. So, you know, in, in a couple of the schools that we were able to see instruction, 
I still felt like um, the bar could have been raised higher in terms of just challenging kids, in terms of just like, you know, what was occurring. Um, I got a good general sense from the students, however, that, you know, they they were being pushed, they were being challenged. So I, I leave open that, that, that bar of growth in terms of like just, you know, what, what I would expect from a school that I was running. Um, in terms of the adults, Damn, man, it's, it, it, it's it's a bad place when the folks that are supposed to be shepherding the flock don't really believe in the flock, right? Mm-hmm. And so, you know, you know, not as Charles said, not to really get into the specific specifics of, of who was in that room, but it was it's a lot of gloom and doom uh, that's happening in, in 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 the city that we were just in, and I I feel like it's that way because uh, adults aren't holding themselves to a higher standard. Um, I feel like, um, you know, with the adults, there's a lot of adults that are okay with status quo. You know, uh, there haven't been any, uh, any schools in Indianapolis that have been, well, there've been very few schools that have been shut down. Right. And so people can, continue to perform at a low bar and still stay open and still take checks home. And I don't think that that's necessarily the be- in the best interest of students. I mean, real talk, when you're walking through like we did on a couple of those schools, what are you looking for? When you just said you have an analytical eye, I have a sense going back many years that um, when you come to visit and people know that you're coming to visit, they put their best foot forward and they do all the cleaning like they're having a house guest over and, you know, they pick out the best students and all that. Uh, As a former school board member, I had my own kind of eye at things that I was looking for. Uh, You as somebody who leads multiple schools, like a network of schools. What's your eye looking for when you're going through those buildings? Yeah, so so me and Reef, me and Reef were kind of geeking out in terms of like uh, <laughs> and watching the instruction, right? So like we were, you know, we, when we were, for example, we were watching a math class at one of the schools that we went in, and uh, and 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 it was it was very surface level in terms of like what what was uh, what was happening, uh, but there were some things or some strategies that could have been put in place in order for that math class to be like a high level math class, mm-hmm. and so. Uh, in one of the classes, there was actually a chart in terms of like how uh, students were performing. And so there was a red level, a yellow level and a green level. So green means that a student is uh, proficient. Yellow means that a student is emerging to become proficient. And then red I think we need to use, use another another color besides red, maybe burgundy or something, <laughs> something in the red family. But red always means bad when you're thinking about uh, student achievement. And so to see some uh, so many of the kids that were in uh, the red areas in, in some of the schools, um, it, it was it, it normalized the fact that there was a, there's been a covert impact on student achievement. But it also let me know that, hey, these kids are here now. And so the expectations for these kids now, damn COVID, we still need to have the highest bar for these kids because we know that they can learn. And so you start running into problems when you start questioning if kids can learn. Mm-hmm. Did y'all have a sense that like, uh, cause y'all heard me say something about like, India is a city that has all the things, you know, like all the things. And still in the state of Indianapolis, first of all, let's start there and just say, what was the statistic that we put up? 
in terms of proficiency. 8.1%. percent Black tests don't matter. So just in the state. That. Yeah, you know, tests don't matter. Who knows what they measure? Uh, just say that the next time you take a blood pressure test. Ah, it don't matter. Uh, right before you die. Um, but but uh, India is a city that has all the things. It's got perfectly, I think, like in terms of enabler enabling factors for reform it's got a reform community that is strong it is a city that has all the charters that it wants it's got the school district itself has innovation schools which are charter-like schools there's a lot of money invested um there's all kinds of programs different things going on and still in the district itself (laughs) man 3.3 percent proficiency of black students in the traditional district schools there. And when we asked around, kind of like, how do you explain a city that has all the things and it still is not performing? Meaning, I just want to say to y'all, a lot of cities would take any one of the things that Indy has going on. Like, you know, a much different, you know, better uh, new facilities on some of their schools or smaller learning environments in some of their schools, which we saw a couple of those, you know, um, what was your takeaway about having all the things and still having a not really high performing necessarily system of schools for kids? Yeah, I mean, for me, it, it just shows if you have everything, but you lack that dirty A word, you lack accountability. It doesn't. Oh, okay, I was waiting to see what you were going to say with that. <laughs> but keep going. Keep going. <laughs> like, wait, what word are we talking about? I mean, it just it doesn't matter quite as much. That has to dovetail with everything else, right? And so, um, you know, without it, you can have shockingly beautiful new buildings. You can have um, all the money in the coffers. You can have beautiful grounds, right? And that's why we see, you know, we see black and brown students struggling in some of the wealthiest districts, right? Because there's not accountability. We see upper Dublin where you can be doing great as a middle school student and test into advanced math. And they're like, nah, you ain't taking that. You're going to be in the basement. Mm-hmm. Right. And it's because I'm not accountable for your learning and you're just, you're here. That's it. But we have all of this for show, right? It's not for all, you know, and that's that's the other part of it, right? It's accountability for all. And without it, it just, it doesn't work. It doesn't work. But we see that time and time again, there are a whole lot of, uh, you know, just these, what looks like, you know, this gleaming thing, but it's kind of like the Wizard of Oz uh, stuff. Mm-hmm. It, it, it's fake, it's a facade, it's a veneer. Um, but when you actually disaggregate when you actually dive deeper and look into it you see like they don't really care about you know uh, about the collective about all so all doesn't really mean all in most places <laughs> when you talk about uh if they got black or brown folks or other marginalized folks no someone asked us to all ask means, um no. uh in prep we had a community member who said you should ask people whether or not indianapolis cares about black students, cares about black kids. That's a a question (laughs) uh, America's been responding to for a really long time. You know, resounding, hell no. But, you know. Well, I mean. Cool to fake it. You know, I had to answer it when we did the show. I had to answer it by saying no. And the reason that I said no is because the reason that we're saying you have all the things, but they're not performing is kind of when you say accountability, there's no call out culture there. 
people will know which schools are not doing well, but it'll be somebody that they know running it or whatnot. So they won't say anything or there's fear. There's fear that like, if I call you out, you might call me out. So let's not call anybody out on anything. So you just keep this syndicate of bad learning environments for kids. Meanwhile, you're running some really good ones. Indy, don't get after me. Cause I, you know, I, I don't want to make it sound like, cause we went to, to one school that was like the dream high school. I wish I would have went there. Absolutely. You know, any, anybody, right? anybody, right. Go. I any wish kid. I would have went to somebody's talk about it. Talk about it. Talk about this school we went oh, to so, where several so. of us were like, if we could have went to this school, man. Wow. So I liken I liken Purdue uh, Polytech High School to a high tech high to any uh, magnet in Philly to uh, the testing schools in New York, uh, in New York City. Anybody that goes to those schools has the opportunity to be successful if you want to be successful. Right. And so my worry is not the students that go to Purdue Polytech High School. My worry is the students that go everywhere else. Right. Mm -hmm. And so then how can we then make schools like high tech high schools like Stuyvesant schools like, uh, you know, schools like Purdue Polytech High every schools that everybody have. And not just like the people that can test into those schools, not just the high achieving students, because you know that those students are going to be OK. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I, I mean, I agree. I, I was going to, you know, I, I didn't jump in on the last one because I thought Ray was going to jump in because he was the one that kind of brought it out to the group around how much just how many resources are in Indy versus in other places. That's why I didn't jump in on that one. But I get what you're saying, too, about the about the schools. But and still. That school was beautiful. Like I like, <laughs> yeah, it was. like, like but, but here, but here, but yeah, Ray, Ray just he I think he he pointed out a really important fact. He is somebody who gets to see a lot of other schools. He is somebody that has seen this level of quality. And I promise you that more than like more than half easily of the parents that I tend to work with or do or, or, or see have not seen a high school, a public high school look like that. They ha- they haven't. They have not seen that type of freedom for black kids. They haven't seen like mm-hmm. a mess hall environment where freshmen are like able to kind of roam the halls and like, you talk know, to Charles, talk about home. it. Talk about it. Take people there. Take the people yeah, there. I mean, what we so, saw there. Basically, I mean, this. so this school just got redid and shout out to them because uh, in the indie report, which is still embargoed, uh, we had some students from that school uh, that were some writers on that piece. But um, but when you walk in, it's just it's open. There's this open concept and there's like a lot of maker spaces for folks that don't know what maker spaces are. Think of it as a 21st century uh, wood shop uh, where there's more space. There's not as many old, you know, rusty. I don't seen some wood shops and they look like you're going to die. In them, right. Like it's a horror, horror movie. Um, and they had but they, 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 they had this thing about modular space, modular furniture. Uh, you saw kids working together and kind of leading their own experiences or whatnot. Uh, and one of the students said, you know, our teachers don't feel like teachers. They feel we call them coaches, uh, which kind of more leads into like the student agency piece around it. So I agree. What Ray is saying is, is absolutely correct. We need to look at like the kids that's not getting those type of experiences and figure out how we can have them. But I think one of the ways you make that a demand is that you got to show other people that ain't never seen that before. You got to show them what's possible. If all the schools you went to, like all of mine, for the most part, look like a jail, feels like a jail, looks the same as it, it did in the 90s when I was a student there. Then it's like, oh, snap. Like if I took those parents to see that school, I promise you 
at least a third of those people will come back and, and light a fire under a superintendent, a charter school leader or a principal's ass and be like, oh, them black kids got the same demographics as these black kids. We want the same thing. What needs to happen? Um, but I but I do agree with what, with what Ray was saying on that piece. And, I, and, and just to, you know, um, I didn't we didn't point this out. I wanted to give Ray props on this on this one thing. Uh, Ray, this was the most I seen Ray like stand out in like the, the, the administrative space. So even when we was doing the indie show, he was coming from a perspective that was so different from ours. But it was some very technical, like some very like direct things that people could do. Right. Like, look, this is what I would be doing if I had these numbers. This is what I would be doing if I had these type of funds. This is what I would be doing if I was trying to get these type of funds. So I just wanted to uh, give kudos there because that was the hardest I've seen him push and lean into that place. And it was somewhat of a masterclass, I think, as far as how administration mindsets could be, because the biggest issue I saw when I was in India wasn't money. It wasn't will. It wasn't all these other things. It was mindset. It was a mind and it was mindsets of adults. It was mindsets of adults that have already sold a first and second graders up the river by saying college ain't for everybody. I don't even know why that's in your vocabulary. We're not talking about high school right now. I'm talking about kids that can't read in your city where you have a flock of people like you should be pushing this message. Mm-hmm. Up. So, some of them, some of them were saying, Charles, and you should talk about this. Ray, you should talk a little bit about the direct advice that you gave to people. We should talk about that. But Charles, also, you should talk a little bit about um, a conversation without naming names that we were in mm-hmm. where it felt like people were more committed to awfulizing everything um, to the point where it almost like felt like you couldn't have any solutions. And these were community leading type people. I'm not going to like name names or whatever. Can both of you all and, and, and Sharif, you were in those rooms, you saw the same stuff too. Can you talk about those two things, the direct advice to the educator community there and what we heard from the community leadership type folks who are awfulizing their own people? Well, I, let me, I'll, I'll, I'll wrap up my part on that and then I'll throw it to Ray so he can elaborate on his piece. Cause I think that one needs more room to breathe. I, listen, context I was fucked up last week. Like I was really fucked up. Like I was in a bad emotional space. So we're in this first meeting and it's like powerful people that I respect. Like I respect my black institutions, whether they be CBOs, religious or mentors. Right. I look up to these people and just for them to like, I just felt like, and it it wasn't everybody. I want to be very clear. It was not everybody in that room, Mm -hmm. but it was just like the, the excuses was baked in. And it's baked in on an eight-year-old, on a nine-year-old, on a 10-year-old. Or like, don't nobody listen to us. Don't nobody do this. It's like, fam, it's 30 of y'all around the table right now. Like, it's it's so many districts in, in Indy that my thought was like, look, it's a lot. Don't <laughs> Y'all should actually be having your own set of schools. So uh, that's what I mean when I was talking about the mindset. But I was I was so fucked up emotionally. Like, I almost lost it in that meeting. Like, I was on the way out. Like, I was just like, yo, like, it just didn't feel like people was fighting for me. And then I was looking around at people's watches and I was looking around at people's shoes and I was kind of, I was kind of messed up. So I wasn't fully in the right place. And, and I, but I had a real adverse reaction to what some of those people were saying. Uh, I'll throw it to the fellas who, who can kind of go a little bit more in depth just with that advice that they was given. Yeah. Uh, bring Reef, 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 jump in here, man. You've been quiet. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I, I I think my big takeaway, there were two things. Um, 
you know, when we're meet, meeting with leaders who one, the one brother was like, you know what? The bottom line is we're not united. We're, we're not, we don't have a, a plan that we're all pushing for. We're not rowing at the same time. We're all got our own individual stuff going on. And if we're doing that as leaders and children and their success is not like always, they, like I get like regrouping, what's our agenda? You're at a point where the children and their success should never be off the agenda. Add a second and third thing that, you know, you want to, whatever it is that you feel is important. Never take the children um, off the agenda. That is a permanent, you know, you have those permanent seats on committees and all that kind of stuff. That's a permanent agenda item. That is a permanent prioritized item. And the moment you, you take that off and you start thinking like, oh, everything else is important, you're doomed to fail because there is no future without ensuring that they're successful. And so that always has to be a part. So the fact that they just felt like, you know, that wasn't a thing. They weren't united around it. They were, you know, more trading different stories about things, but not having a clear set. This is what we are doing to move uh, to move forward, I, th- I think is, uh, you know, I, th- I think that that really stuck out for me. And then the other one, it just reminded me of uh, Alice uh, Walker when she says, you know, the most common way people give away their powers thinking they don't have any. Right. You got, you know, they were like, well, it's not enough of us. You know, Cole was like, yo, it's like 20 of y'all. Like, what do you mean you don't have enough power? Like, like each of y'all are touching hundreds yeah. of, of folks. And right? in some like, cases, thousands. Yeah. And it's like, you know, like, what are you talking about? So, you know, that really gave it up. Yeah. Yeah. You got people that are actually will follow you. And you say like, yo, this is always going to be a thing. This is what we're going to do. That's a very different atmosphere, call to action, invigoration. But if we're just going to hem and haw and, and, you know, uh, wring our hands and sing sad songs, then that's a whole different, that's a whole different kind of atmosphere, right? Like that's like a damp towel all the time, right? Like at some point, you you gotta be like, like man, if 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 fighting on behalf of kids don't get you energized and pumped up, I don't know what will. You know what? And and Ray, I want to come to you uh, on the direct advice to school leaders piece, but I want to stay here for a second. Uh, first of all, I want to back up what Charles said. It wasn't everybody. Mm-hmm. It wasn't everybody that had that same type of outlook, and it's not specific to Indy. You could go to any city that I can name and the black leadership, the black clergy, the black electeds or whatnot do not have a common child agenda. They do not have a common black child agenda in most places that I go. And that is one of the number one, I think, downfalls of us in terms of our responsibility as a people. Like we, you are responsible as a clergy for people. You are responsible as an elected leader. You are responsible as a nonprofit industrial complex grant maker. You are, you know, you are responsible, but there are too few tables where you sit together and you say at all levels, the children are at the center. How are the children is our operable, uh, operating uh, centralizing cardinal question and have a plan. So I think when you ask people what their plan is, you throw them off a little bit. That's why they awful guys. They awful guys because they want to tell you all the problems and the barriers and whatnot. What's and I plan? think those well, conversations. Well, so and so and so and so and there. there, there. You just right. you got to understand the politics and blah, blah blah. And let's talk about it. Let's talk about it for a second here because well, we need to stay here because this will be good in any place where you live. But let me just say this one piece. 
I'm okay with the three-part conversation. The first part of the conversation is awfulizing. Put everything on the table. Oh, my God, our parents do this. Our kids don't mind us. Blah, 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 blah. Do all the awfulizing. Get it out of your system. It's like an enema. So get that done. Get that part done. The second part, after you have the kind of like the verbose, verbose kind of awfulizing enema, is to say, okay, now let's, let's table that and talk about what are the barriers and the obstacles, Right. Let's talk about all the barriers and obstacles and let's let's list them. What's stopping you? What's preventing you for standing up for kids and doing something and using your infrastructure, people, staff, knowledge, know how, whatnot. And then the third part of that discussion really should be, OK, now let's address each of those barriers in, in some sort of uh, systemic smart way um, that is befitting all the degrees and theology, you know, certificates and everything that we got in the world. Anyways, that's my soapbox for the moment. Stay there though for a second. What were you going to say, Ray? I know you're going to jump in on that point maybe and, and then take us to the other point, but uh, that could happen in any city. We could, we could travel anywhere and have that exact same conversation. So what are we going to say to people that are having that conversation to help them get out of that? So I, I'm, I'm not really going to say anything, but I'm going to ask a question, right? If, because I just saw an interesting point. I want to give him credit for 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 uh, for. I want to quote this correctly in terms of um, Charles and 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 kids don't really matter until they can pay tithes in in in, in religious institutions, right? Oh. And and I I know that that's that that's not going to be popular amongst the blacks, but. Whoa, whoa, whoa! I'm disavowing. <laughs> I'm disavowing. Uh, whatever's about to come out of his mouth, I'm disavowing. But, but, I'm pulling a raid today. I'm pulling a raid this week. But, uh, but that's it's, not. It's, it's, listen, Jesus, people, I have nothing to do with this, homie. Keep going, bro. Keep saying so what you're going to say. I'm not, but I'm not. I'm not talking about Jesus' people. I'm talking about the, the shepherds, right? And so then the question that I would ask is: Do the shepherds love? black kids right so like we ask these questions like we're like hey do uh do the educators love black kids but i also uh encompass uh the shepherds in that realm of uh being educators right because you you are educate you do have a, a text a text you have a biblical text right and so you are educating your flock in terms of like you know where you where you need to lead them in order to to be who you need for them to be and so I, I think that's a very important question because like I you know I man I've been to a, a lot of churches right and then but then when you when you get down to folks that are like outwardly advocating for kids not under a moniker of Black Lives Matters, but more so under the moniker of Black Minds Matter, I see very uh, few doing that. Is my point. Mm. All right. Well, I'm going to pray for you, bro. Um, (laughs) I'm just going to pray for you because I believe these people, I believe these folks care. I believe they have been overwhelmed by changes in the population, changes in communities, and that some of the things that some of the things that we used to be that we used to consider real problems in our community have expedited and grown and our clergy can't always keep up with. I mean, listen, fewer people are going to church, fewer people are tithing, uh, flocks are, are slimming out. More people are listening to that stuff y'all listen to when you listen to music. You know, but this is just, they're facing a number of problems, right? And uh, y'all so mean gray and cold, but go ahead. That's right. That's right. And you know, they're having to close their doors, you know, more often and whatever. So it's harder for them to have moral authority. One of them straight up said, listen, uh, our people don't listen to us anymore. So 
Uh, I thought, man, that's a wow. That's so, a tough. Think, think about think about that. Have, bro. Think about that in the context of thinking about that in the context of uh, of teaching and learning. Right. If you had a class and the teacher was like, man, my kids don't even my kids don't even listen to me anymore. Right. It's yeah. like, would you still yeah. want that teacher in your school teaching kids? Mm. I mean, I mean, wow. I don't know how to answer that. How the rest of y'all answer. I wouldn't want it if it's a teacher, but I understand what's happening to pastors. I understand that they're losing their flock. Absolutely. But that, but, yeah. but listen, man, listen, the, the, the instances where you see Jesus and don't, don't turn this into that. Don't, don't make me dump on that. <laughs> you know that word. Let's hear it. The, Let's time, hear it. the times you saw Jesus in the church, he was flipping over tables. Churches in the streets, like the streets don't close. So there should be some, this is, and this is where I would give my church, Humanity Baptist Church, where I grew up at. Like I learned early on that even though I was Baptist as they come and I was a drug baby, meaning you got drugged to church damn near every day. You know, we still had to uh, we still had to show respect to the to the priest. That's really funny. Drug baby. I was drugged to church every day. That's, yeah, they call us drug babies. Yeah, <laughs> they call us drug babies. Right. And and but we had to show respect to the to the to the to the imams and the Muslim brothers. So the way that our system was in Oakland was, you know, the, the Muslim brothers was out on the corners, like as when we was going to school, like those imams knew our pastors. They knew the Catholic folks like there was like a relationship around. There was a collective responsibility around those young people, regardless of where they prayed or where they was devoted at. The only thing that is pushing me to say and do is black people. You are on your own and in, in, in the same heat that we got for schools. Anybody that is getting a tax break for serving the community and, and they are supposed to be caring about kids or whatever, you need to G-check them as well. What is your plan around this? And if they're not listening to you, how are you in the streets? Are you at that safe? Are you at the Are you at the grocery store? Are you at the welfare office? Are you at where our people are hurting? That is the sign of your Christianity, not how much you do in a church. It is what you're doing outside of those walls. These people give their life and their salvation to you. The least you can do, the least we can do, is be able to be an intercessor around these kids' grades and their school. Like the, the role that the black in church played, aside from the invisible institution, was that it was the meeting place between government officials and the community. The church in my community was, they were moderating conversations and translating for the community and everybody was welcome. It was sacred ground. The gangsters didn't fight in front of there. It didn't matter what side of town it was on. This was neutral. The, and different re, and different religions would come. So anyway, I'm gonna get off that soapbox, but that hurt me in that moment because I'm like, you are the last line of defense for so many people. Like my grandmother was so devout; she was so devout. My re, my relationship with Jesus is because of that woman. You know what I'm saying? And it's just I cannot picture her pastor saying that. I can't. I can't. I can't picture it. I get, I just have a quick question. Like faith based institutions, is it? I just wondered if part of it is a we often talk about like classism as like just financial, but I think there there's also something with faith based institutions where, you know, there's this class like we're just a, in a different class than you. You know, so if you go to, you know, back when they public schools were start, first starting to think of people, the elite folks were like, why would I send my kids to a public school? That's like sending my uh, family to a, a public toilet. All right. Like they're like. And that's when they had those, right? Like, I ain't going to the porta potty. I'm gonna go to my own, right? Like this, I'm gonna find some other space. And I'm just wondering, like, in the class system um, that that 
uh, permeate so many institutions, right? You're part of it. You have a belongingness in one space. And if you look at other people and other people's problems and how they manifest in education, then you see that. Like, I, I remember even within teachers, like I remember some of them that I worked with when I first uh, got into the career, they were always talking about their children in the private school or the super uh, private magnet, public magnet school that they got into. And I would see them teaching. I'm just like, yo, like act like your kid is in that class. Right. Because mm-hmm. you're teaching this group of children horribly, but you're, you're like boring us to death with all the individual accolades of your own family situation. It's like you're removed from that. And I just wonder like how often that permeates, you know, our, our, you know, these, these systems and these communities. Right. And because then it's harder for me to take on your issue and look at it like your issue is my issue. Right. Which is really the way of community and brotherhood, you know, I mean, Um, this is a, Probably a bad take. I'm going to say it, though, but it's related to what you're saying right now. <laughs> Reef is um, uh, segregation was good in some ways for us. Uh, and it's, it was good in this one way, which is the reason our churches were so powerful in a previous generation was that everybody was together in them. And it was a mediating meeting place for you had a lot of teachers in churches. And a lot of those teachers lived in the same neighborhoods that the kids lived in and the students lived in. Right now, we have had a class division. We had integration. We had people that moved out. We have neighborhoods where none of the teachers live in the neighborhood. And the pastors, uh, I, I just saw a comment here from Educator Barnes in, in India, and she was talking about how uh, many of the pastors don't live in the communities where their church are uh, anymore. That might be one of the reasons why it used to be so easy to have power there was that you had everybody collectively. Now, I don't want to romanticize it because this wasn't the same for everybody. But when, when Charles says his grandmother was devout, and that was the reason he had a relationship with Christ and with the church. Uh, it resonated with me because that's where I got mine from was from my grandmother. But I think we need to pay attention that our you grandmother's baby, too. Well, I wasn't drug ready. I don't know what that is. Like, that was a different situation. Like, I, I, I grew up in a different church than Charles did, but I will say this much. Five days uh, a week, uh, bro. Five days a week. Well, bro, I mean, you know, for a portion of my life, I was like six days a week because we had had mass uh, every morning and then we had a weekend mass. So, 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 but I will say this much was, it was a grandmotherly thing to do to make sure that we did that. And our parents' generation had a different relationship with the church. And that started changing. Like, like we can't blame everything on the church. Our relationship with the church changed at some point, And it was, it was the absence of our grandmother's types of people there. Now, I don't want to stay here too long. Cause I, I, I want to say we met with good people, pastors who are ready to use their infrastructure in a positive, productive Absolutely. way, Absolutely. as long as there were going to be some education people in the room who were going to, who were going to help them know What's the educational stuff to work on? Like, help us understand, like, we're not all educators here. So so tell us what the situation is. So let's go back to educators being courageous, because that was something we heard of. Adults not being courageous. Uh, To the producer, can you put up this one? Uh, I just want to put up an example of something here. Um, um, Because I'm not a teacher in the classroom. I'm not a superintendent leading a district. It'd be easy for me to sit around and say, y'all need to be more courageous and, you know, just really go for the throat of the people that I think are being weak and not courageous on behalf of our kids. That would be without noting 
the material consequences for doing the right thing and stepping out. So this is a story I would encourage people to go look at. Uh, this is a, a black superintendent who made an email to parents after the George Floyd uh, um, um, blow up, the national kind of attention on those of us here in Minnesota around the George Floyd uh, murder in the streets. And her Maryland community uh, never let it go. She said said the wrong things about Black Lives Matter and George Floyd and got in the moment. She's a black superintendent. Um, and this became a problem for being bold, for saying the right thing or whatnot. Now, this is a big example because it's a superintendent. I can give you examples of teachers. I can give you examples of principals. Right. If you look up the Newburgh principal right now, the principal of Newburgh, just look it up. You'll find Roberto Padilla. He is on a leave right now after his third investigation from a board that uh, is led by activists that can't stand him and uh, a board chair who actually just has an axe to grind with him. He's been cleared of everything every single time they put him through a thing, but because like harassment. Uh, it's harassment, <laughs> it's like professional harassment. They will harass you out of a district. They will harass you out of a school. They will harass you out of a city and out of a town and move you on. Charles, I know if you and I got to talking about superintendents, we know we would, we would have similar stories about what superintendents, black superintendents. Absolutely have to go through just for trying to mainstream kids into classrooms when they qualify for mainstream or just for changing a boundary. Right. Um, Char uh, Ray, if you and I talked about it, we would be able to talk about how principals can become the target of a handful of teachers that don't like the, the way you're going with something, the way that you're moving. Next thing you know, trying to stand up for kids and do the right thing for kids. You got a problem, right? Uh, I could point people to Susan uh, Cordova in Denver, who came up through the Denver system, became superintendent. They ran out, ran her out of town because of an equity plan. I could tell you about Valeria Silva, who came up through the ranks, came to, to, to this country with no English, learned English, became a teacher's aide, uh, then a teacher, and then a principal, and then a superintendent of a district, homegrown. Not from <laughs> the outside. very thing that everybody says system. they want, right? Like Everything oh, they want. Person of color through the ranks or whatnot. Um, and the union ran a slate of, of school board members specifically to get her out of her job because they didn't like her equity plan. And they paid her $750,000 to walk away from her job. Now, I've said this. Some of y'all have heard me before. If you're going to fire me, fire me like that. Like I love a good firing. Uh, give me seven. But the point of the, the, point of, of the, the story here is that uh, when Valeria left, Valeria became a, a direct consultant to the country of Chile. <laughs> um, uh, that's how qualified she is, but she wasn't qualified enough for the raggedy ass school district of St. Paul, which has sucked wind ever since she has left and has no, no focus on academics or finances or equity or anything. So this thing about telling people that they need to be courageous and stand up when there's nobody standing behind them, Maybe they're not the problem. Maybe it's not that they're not being courageous enough. Maybe you haven't created the political environment that they could survive it if they did stand up for our kids. What say you guys? Talk about it. So, I, mean, I love, I love, I love the energy, right? But like, your success as a superintendent is your ability to uh, get stakeholders to to fight for you. Right. And so, you know, you may have board members that are first of all, as a superintendent, you better know how to count. Right. And so before you put anything out, you better know if you have a board of seven that you got four people that are going to courageously stand behind any decision that you make with regards to you doing the right thing. If you don't have those numbers, then you probably need to move differently. 
right? But then also, um, with regards to just your parent base, if you are a superintendent or a principal of a school and you can't send a one-line email in order to get damn near your whole uh, your whole population of, of, of families out to fight for you, then you're doing the wrong thing. You're focused on the wrong things, right? Because I know if I send an email out and I'm like, hey, I need y'all here, here, here at this, this time, my parents are riding for me. Right. And that's because of the relationship that I build with them from doing the small things like going out in the parking lot, making sure that they can uh, arrive safely, making sure that their kids are good. Right. Call, call making those calls to check in to make sure everything is OK with their with, 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 with their with their students. And those are the little things that you got to do in order to build that community. Right. But once you have that community, bulletproof. Yeah. Mm. But should you not say anything until you have four out of seven votes? Like if something's wrong, right? Like I don't, you know, that like the superintendent in Maryland, I don't know how many votes she had, like, but she should, the fact that she asserted Black Lives Matter is the issue, right? Because that's the thread. If we like always looking, what's this connected to? It's connected to asserting that, you know what? Black folks are human beings and we're going to, we're going to demand and take full citizenship and we're going to keep fighting for it. A backlash for a superintendent saying that it doesn't, I don't know, it doesn't matter how many school board members there are. There has to be like, you know what? Like, Oh, I got X amount of children. Yeah. <laughs> and this is what I'm, what I'm standing for. And I, and I, yeah. And I get like, as far as strategy and how like, you know, other things happen. And yeah. I think that's one thing, but I think there are other times when you just gotta, you just gotta stand up and say like, yo, this is wrong. This is right. And to hell with numbers and and all of that. The strategy is simply that asserting like, you know what? They're human beings and we're going to act and just accordingly. And just to go on that part, I think, you know, we said this at the at the indie show, like if you're not willing to get fired on behalf of kids, you probably should have never been hired in the first place. And so I think that like when we talking about it, I mean, I worked for people that really did put young people first. And I think that sometimes we take a few things for granted. One, civilians, the, the civilian mind around like school, right? It's like an apple, a ruler, a chalkboard, happiness, you know what I'm saying? Maybe some pranks are here and there, whatever. They don't understand the political and like the political hotbed that it is. And like, you got to damn near be Machiavellian to just survive throughout your term. I, I was in there with somebody who didn't know or care about politics that tried to just do things for kids and they painted him like, like he slapped somebody's mama, man, because he was trying to educate black kids. And this thing, this is going to make me, we're going to have to bring Dr. Stanley out of retirement. Like he's moved from education and went to go work in homeless sector Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. he just, he just was so tired of it. But again, he gave this lesson over and over is that because you think that it's just about educating kids, you think that it's just about babies. And it's like, you have to understand the economic, factors at play. Like I just watched uh, the many saints of, of Newark, right? Like I'm a, I'm a Sopranos fan, right? Even in there, these gangsters, they run the union, man. This is a power base. It is, it is about power. It is a language of power. And I think that for, we have to make sure that like, if you are that superintendent, the best thing I ever did working in the district was when we did the superintendent's, uh, 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 the superintendent's parent form. And we, that was the best thing we ever did because my soup may not have been the best on the news or in, in, in press conferences or whatever. He was kind of robotic. But you put parents in front of him where he got to, like, explain and say what his plans are. We we left with devout followers every time we did that. And you need real people to combat, like, 
the media driven, union driven, like dribble that will come when you disrupt like a money base that you get to just have where it's continuously increasing and in how much you make and the accountability is going lower. When you interrupt that and start telling people they got to actually do their job, people don't like that, fam. You don't you don't interrupt my good yeah. government job. No, if you don't have a commitment to just telling the truth, whether people are with you or, or not, you, you're only going to be useful, I think, in some situations, because, I mean, I can think of a few situations um, where you're not going to have people standing with you right away. Yeah. Uh, if we, if I'm, I'm going to encourage people to go out and look for the podcast on South Lake. And we're starting to see uh, black women with PhDs get run out of town because they have too many white white parents uh, disapproving of the thing that they're leading on. They're very qualified people and they don't have the community standing around. They have the the community is really very middle class and white. The parents that they are fighting for are not and not as organized. So they are like literally standing up for them. There are people that are being run out of equity positions now out of like the district equity coordinator, district equity directors or whatnot. They're getting ran out of town. They're they're formally, you know, good jobs that they felt very good about or whatnot is being taken from no one standing with them or whatnot, but they're being run out of town, keeping their pride intact, knowing that they told people what they needed to tell them uh, all the way up until the last minute, even if people weren't going to stand with them because it it just wasn't that type of world. Now I really want to choose violence now because we don't have much time, but I want to end on this super producer. If you could uh, bring in the the one about black children were jailed for crime that doesn't exist Um, because I I just quickly want us to talk about this in terms of what the stakes are. I encourage everybody listening and watching to search this this uh, this article out by ProPublica. It's a piece of really good, deep reporting, investigative reporting. I'll give you the thumbnail sketch of what happened so that we could just talk quickly about it. This to me is a story about what happens when nobody, when adults don't say what they're supposed to say. There was a video that, of, of a fight that went down uh, amongst middle school kids uh, as young as, as eight years old. And in the um, in the fight, Uh, On the video, you can hear a couple of kids saying stop or blah, 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 whatever. Don't do it. All that type of stuff. Um, What happened was three police officers came to their school, one hell bent on arresting not the children in the fight, but the children who didn't stop the fight for a crime that didn't exist. Okay, so they wanted to arrest the kids that were in the video, uh, um, uh, just bystanders, basically three black police officers come to three Police officers come to the school, two black, one white. The two black ones don't want to do anything. They don't want to arrest any kids. They're, they're like, this is nuts. I'm not going to do this. The black uh, officer who was in the school left and went home so that he wouldn't have to participate in it because it was making him sick to even thought that they would do it. The principal didn't want to go get the girls. Uh, that that they were that the one white police officer was asking for while the one white police officer was asking for her to go not asking demanding that she go get them so he can arrest them put them in handcuffs and take them to some undisclosed place right um the one black officer was calling higher ups asking them to stop this because it was ridiculous and they wouldn't stop it so the short story is they arrested the kids right uh in a in a savage and brutal way the principal complied The two black officers complied. The kids had to comply. They didn't have any choice. They were arrested. 
Uh, um, they were taken to undisclosed locations. They were put through a court system and a county system of good old girls and good old boys, new Jane Crow and new, new Jim Crow type of tactics or whatnot. And listen to all the adults that I just said that these kids went through. Kids as young as eight, eight years old. And there wasn't a single one, even though multiple people, including the principal to officers, the officer who was assigned to that school, uh, that's at least four right there. Uh, uh, the teachers that were letting the kids being taken out of the, the class, everybody complied in injustice and savagery against black children. No one stopped it. No one was courageous enough. No one said to hell with my damn job enough. Nobody said the right thing. So when we talk about people not being courageous on behalf of kids, these kids were brutalized, traumatized by the system and by everybody that they are meant to trust. They're meant to trust their teachers. They're meant to trust the school as a as an institution, their teacher as a leader, their principal as a maven over everything that goes down with them. The police who are supposed to serve and protect them, the courts that are supposed to be fair and supposed to treat people uh, equally, but don't. So now we have given these kids a lesson in what it's like to be black in America and even skin folk participated in not saying the right thing. I choose violence. Fellas, what do you have to say about this story? Let's talk about this just for a minute. I know we don't have a lot of time. Yeah. I mean, I was just saying it could have, you know, it should have been like a citizen's arrest of those officers, you know, the eight year old. But, you know, this is, you know, really is gut wrenching. And it makes me think of this uh, seventh grader we had at Shoemaker. Um, you know, I was leading a, a, a PD or getting ready for a PD and later to find out that a police officer had arrested her um, outside, you know. And so I go running outside to figure out, like, you know, what's going on. And by this time, you know, um, she had uh, released her. Um, but me and the police officer got into it. You know, like, I'm like, don't you ever, like, what the F are you thinking to put that seventh grader? Particularly when you hear, like, why she did it, she said, well, she got smart. Mm. I'm like, got smart? Like, you put her in the back of your car, this seventh grader put her in the back of a car because of that? And, you know, I was like, you know what, like this, I don't ever want to see you around here. She's like, well, call my supervisor and get me off. I don't want to be on this beat anyway. Right. And so one, it was just the level of contempt that she had already. And this wasn't the only incident. Right. Had another incident where these jokers are riding dirt bikes down during dismissal. During dismissal, they're riding dirt bikes on the sidewalk of our school. And of course, that's another confrontation like, yo, get the F off the sidewalk. What are you doing? And that turns into a whole confrontation where, like, I, I literally thought it was I thought we were going to get, you know, locked up. You know, one of the one of uh, the assistant principals, like, you know, at some point they they had surrounded her. You know, and she's calling me and like, yo, this is I mean, this is the type of just hostility that they were entering school. They don't look at schools as safe spaces for uh, students. And when you when you read about some of this work, they say police officers who are generally in white schools. They look at at the 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 uh, the problems as outside of the school and their job is to protect everyone inside. When it's a black school, the police look at the problems as inside the school and all their attention is is going towards that. Right. And so, you know, even and, and this is the last piece. So the 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 captain or whoever was the supervisor was somebody that, you know, like I had to give heat to, you know, visited the school, ended up talking to the whoever 
the commissioner, all of this, like meetings, meetings, meetings. And they're like, oh, no, he's a good guy. He means well. Da, da. After the George Floyd murder in Philly, when there was, you know, a rebellion against that, he's shown on camera beating the mess out of a protester with his nightstick. Same guy. Same guy as far as like the leadership. He was he was in charge. This time he's on the street just wailing on somebody who was just innocently saying Black Lives Matter. You know, mm-hmm. but the same that same type of, of hate, contempt and savagery. Um, and you, you see that year round. I mean, and kids are not they're not kids to them. They're not kids. So, 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 so fellas, I know we got to wrap and I sprung this on you late in the show, but, uh, but, uh, please, uh, jump in on this. Uh, you, Mark, this. So, yeah, go ahead. Yes. Yes. Please trying to, jump trying in. To, I'm, I'm trying to double Dutch. Okay, you you do your thing, man. I I, I just I, I apologize I for dropping the this right in there. Way to double dutch. But, go ahead. <laughs> we, we, but it's interesting that you say that, right? Because this, this my 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 commentary is solely on you right now, right? So I do this, which is charter school jargon for I agree, right? And so I did not know guy, that, but I'm I'm glad I learned from you. You you see him ten times trying to mock me, going <laughs> the whole time, right? And so I kind of. I knew you would agreed. I just, I just think it's funny. But okay, I didn't know it was charter school jargon. I was in a charter school for eleven years. I, I never saw that, so it might be well, high, high performing charter school jargon. Oh. <laughs> <laughs> All right, yo. My military family, you did it with the right hand. I know it's a. Uh, I, I always do it the wrong hand, and my uncle, my brother, my dad, all of them will correct me if I do it with my left. So, um, when you finish your point, right? I didn't want to. Yeah, yeah, it. no, j- jump right in. He ain't had no point. He just wanted to say that. Go ahead, Cole. I will say this. I will say this, man. Uh, and y'all know what I'm about. We on our own, but I'm gonna give you some concrete things to do. Parents, everybody that's listening, you you should be able to name three to five other parents that are your friends or that you close with. And if you don't have them, go make some new friends. Go to that kid's class. Wait after school at some point and just introduce yourself and exchange numbers so y'all can split this up. But then y'all got to come together and make a friend or foe list. Right. Who are the people that support our kids and who are the people that don't like like make sure y'all got a schedule of like who don't you know what I'm saying? Because y'all can't go to everything. But person A can go and represent the group like you have to actually strategize and plan to make sure your kids are getting the stuff that they need to. And you cannot just stop at schools. You have to do it at the religious institutions in your community. I don't care if you ain't religious at all. I don't care. It doesn't. It, that's not the point. Right. The point is, is that all these people took an oath to our community and they're getting a tax cut on behalf of it. So who's going to the boys club? Who's going to, you know, whatever. And then also make a list of the black men in your community that you like, you know what the uncle figure that can be the uncle figure, regardless if somebody got a daddy in a home or not, man, these things matter. It matters when a black man is showing up to support these moms or whomever, when this type of stuff is happening. And I'll just end on this. Again, I'm going to show this. I'm going to show Antoine even some more love because I really did appreciate his leadership when he was in Oakland. We are a sanctuary city. There was ICE was doing these like raids where they was trying to come into schools and he made And there was a protocol, bro. Like there was a protocol about what your rights was as a teacher, how you do as a school leader. You do not have to give them information. You, you send them to our lawyers. You do this, that and the third. But you stonewall those people from using your school as a base to round up people for ICE, right? Like we had people really afraid, not just Latino folks, black folks like from from the the diaspora too. So all I'm saying is, is now 
it is not enough for you to just care. It is not enough for you to just be able to cuss out a teacher. It is not enough for you to just go up to a school and do whatever. You actually have to have a course of action. And the final thing, which is really important and it's tied in with mindset, that group needs to come and set goals for those kids. Hey, our goal is that all our kids are two grades above reading level. Hey, our goal is that we find a, a program or organization that our kids can be in after school and on the weekends. Hey, our goal is this. Our, you know what I'm saying? Like you have to actually do that because you are on your own. We just saw the moral failings of multiple adults that had checks in place where somebody should have stepped in and nobody did it. And you think that it that it rarely happens and it don't rarely happen. It happens all the fucking time. It happens all the time. Long gone are the days of like Miss Hawkins when I would tell, you know, Miss Hawkins was in Kentucky and she would go to my parents' church and all that stuff. And I would try to tell my mom, Miss Hawkins lying on me. And my mom would look at me as serious as, as a heart attack and say, Miss Hawkins ain't got no reason to lie on you, boy. I'm talking. to work. Long gone are those days because most of the people that's in your kid's classroom don't even live in the vicinity of you and may not even be OK with walking down your neighborhood street. So you have to take this on. It is not fair, but we're not talking about fair. We're not talking about what should be. We're talking about what is. And this is a survival tool and a survival kit for you and your family. I think that that is, uh, first of all, that's amazing advice directly to parents, to people that need it the most. Ray, uh, um, Sharif, as we wrap, can you also say something to not the parents, but to the school leaders or the people within systems who draw salaries to work on behalf of our kids who need a shot in the arm to be more kind of like, I don't know if the word is courageous, need to be more something to stand up, but they're facing material consequences if they do. What would be your shot in the arm to those people? I'll take this. All right. So the, the first thing that I want to say, and this is building on, on my second point, dealing with Reef, and then I'll go into what you just asked. So the second point dealing with Reef is that Reef said F this four times. Right. And so the thinking of saying fuck was there. So that's the actual sin is the actual thinking of saying <laughs> not not saying the word. Oh, right? so I just want to make that clear, right? You, you might for the accuser, the bro. In, in, the, in the eyes <laughs> of, of, of man, he's like a a, right. a, a <laughs> 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 no, but but uh advice that I want to give the school leaders, man, it's just all about approaching the data, right? And so, you know, of course you're building these human relationships with students, right? And so you're building human relationships with students and with teachers and because you have uh, approached this way, this, this work in a humanistic manner, folks are going to work for you. Teachers are going to work hard for you because you uh, have approached them as humans. Uh, kids are going to work for their teachers because they see them as human beings. So now you use that data to drive your instruction. Uh, principals are not at their desk checking emails. Principals are in classrooms giving feedback to teachers on how to create more rigorous learning environments for the students. Principals are uh, instructional leaders. And so if you're not an instructional leader, then you're hiring for your blind spot in the sense of, all right, you don't really know instruction that well. And you got this job because your homeboy is the superintendent. Now you bring in soup, you bring in other instructional leaders that are strong in the areas that you're not weak. You have to hire for your replacement, right? We can't be looking over our shoulders when we're, when we're doing God's work and when we're working for kids, you got to go into this work with the intentions of getting fired. Like we all say, but you also have to be smart about it, smart about how you approach the work. 
You have to be able to have difficult conversations with folks that are not doing their jobs. You also have to have difficult conversations with parents and make sure that you're providing them with the supports in order to step up to the plate. So, for example, if a parent is like, well, I can't do this, I can't do that. You now have to build a capacity of parents in order to be able to not be able to say that they can't do these things. But now they can do these things because you taught them how to do it. You have to be selfless right like as the leader of that building there is something there, there's 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 things that you have to do that by you doing them nobody else can say that i don't do i'm not doing that because it's not in my job description because you are getting your hands dirty and you're doing everything that's all encompassing of doing the work so for example for me um i've cleaned throw up up i've broken up fights i've doing i've done all of these other things that uh, People just don't do, but I do them to lead by example, right? If you're leading by example, then you you can't not expect other people to follow in, in those directions. That's my energy. Love it, man. Yeah. I would yeah. just say that there's yeah. a, you know, a lot, of, you know, I mean, it takes, it takes courage and I don't want to, you know, underestimate, but, you know, um, in the freedom school tradition, leaders lead. That's what they do. And part of leading means that everyone's not going to agree. Um, there's going to be times when uh, it's not it's unsafe, uh, whether emotionally or, you know, um, job wise, professionally, all those kind of things. And I, I can't help but to think, you know, there's just a couple of superintendents that, you know, that I think about uh, sometimes where like, you know, all hell broke loose for simply not saying the words black minds matter, as, as Ray said, but demonstrating it. You know, when a superintendent wants to change uh, the enrollment pattern for uh, criteria based schools that don't look like the demographics of the city. You know, there was a superintendent. This was initially like right now in Philly. They're like, oh, yeah, you know, there are more people who are like open to it. But I remember that was 